Well, good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Good, good. Well, welcome back. Week two of our series called How to Pray. Last week we kicked off this uh, awesome series and we had some huge, some really big ideas that we um, kind of looked at. Um, now, most of us, most of us in this room, we pray, right? We pray when we find ourselves in a jam. We pray when we can't find our car keys. Anybody been there? Oh, yeah. I might have been there a little bit earlier today. God, please, I just need. Um, we pray whenever there's a family member who's sick or dying, right? These are moments when we pray. No matter what it is that you believe about prayer, these are moments when we pray. And in these moments, we, we realize the struggles that we have with prayer. The things that just gnaw in the back of our minds, right? Am I, am I doing this right? Is this, is this how I'm supposed to do it? Does God, does God really hear me when I pray? Why, why isn't God answering me the way that I want him to answer me? Last week, we, um, if you were here, we learned some things about prayer. And one of the things that we learned is that prayer is not for other people. Prayer is not for other people. Prayer is not for your family. Prayer is not for just church people. Actually, what we learned was is that prayer is for me. Say it with me. Prayer is for me. Yeah, prayer is for you. God designed prayer for you and for me. Now, now, if you've been around church, right, if you've been around church for a while, maybe you went to church when you were younger, and this is your first time back. By the way, welcome back. We're, we're really glad that you are here today for this. Maybe, maybe you grew up in church, right? And so this is the, the latest place that you've decided, hey, I'm going to come check this place out to worship and see what they're teaching about. Well, we're glad that you're here. Or maybe, maybe you just have never gone to church. But there's a strong possibility that even if you've never gone to church, you've heard somebody who said this about prayer. Prayer is easy, right? Because prayer is just talking to God, right? Prayer is easy. Just pull out the big red easy button like Staples has, right? And just boop, boop, easy, right? But if prayer is so easy, then why in the world do I feel like I don't know what I'm doing? Right? Why in the world do I, do I struggle with it? Why do I feel like there should be so much more to prayer? And I, I think, and we said this last week, I think the reason that we struggle with prayer is because we know that it's supposed to be something more than just talking to God. It's supposed to be something more than that. In fact, last week we said that uh, prayer is not just talking to God, but it's a meaningful conversation with God. A meaningful conversation with God. And really, that's what we're looking for. When we come to prayer and we're like, man, I just, I just don't know if I'm doing this right because I just, I, I don't feel filled up or full after having this sort of interaction with God. And I feel like maybe that's what's supposed to kind of happen. And, you know, really, if we were honest, if we were honest, most of our conversations are that way, right? We are terrible at having meaningful 
conversations, meaningful communication with other people, let alone with God. So no wonder somebody who we can't see or touch that we struggle with this idea of some sort of meaningful engagement with him. But, but none of us are alone in this. You feeling that away, feeling that angst about prayer, about am I doing it right, all the questions, all the doubts that you have about it, you're not unique in that. You're not alone in that. In fact, I would, I would say that most of us in this room feel this way about prayer. In fact, in fact, Jesus' disciples, the guys who were with him day in and day out, they watched Jesus pray. And he didn't just pray like once, right? Like Jesus was praying all the time. As they began to watch Jesus pray, and then they would pray, and then they would look at Jesus pray, and then, and then Jesus would pray, and, then, and they were like, wait a second, something doesn't add up. What Jesus is doing is totally different than what we're doing. Jesus comes out of prayer, and he is filled up. And all of his power, all of his passion, everything about Jesus was connected with his prayer. And the disciples said, hey, Jesus, Jesus, will you teach us how to do that? Because this is not that. And so Jesus looked at his disciples and Jesus said to them, when you pray. In other words, he says, yes, I'm going to teach you. So you better get ready to start listening because I'm about to tell you what to do when you pray pray. And so here's what he says, full text. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's it. That's the whole, the whole prayer right there. That's not very long. That's pretty short, actually. So if you've ever thought, and I, I have this thought sometimes, those holy people, right? I'm not one of those, just so that you know, all right? Those holy people who pray for 30 minutes a day. I want to be one of them someday, right? I'm like, whew, if I could just pray for 30 minutes, I could be holy and God would really like me. Jesus is like, look, this is all you need right here. Here's a model of it. It took you about 30 seconds to read through that. Not 30 minutes, 30 seconds. Jesus isn't saying that we have to have lengthy prayers. In fact, the challenge for this entire month, we have a 30 days of prayer challenge praying for the next 30 days and you can choose to mix and to match however you want to do it you can do it in every day ending in why if you want right you've got 30 days between now and the end of the series some of you you got started last sunday and you could pray every weekday and make it through the series you can mix and match you could pray on monday wednesdays and fridays and saturdays and sundays if you wanted to and make it for 30 days out of this series the challenge is praying for 30 days and here's all i'm saying we should just pray for five minutes it doesn't matter if you choose to do it in the morning. 
doesn't matter if you choose to do it in the evening. It doesn't matter if you choose to do it at lunchtime. Five minutes, five minutes a day for praying. <clears throat> and here's what we want to do is we want to take the things that we begin to learn in this series about what Jesus says about praying and begin to use them in our five minutes of praying for 30 days. So, this prayer, this prayer is incredibly power-packed, right? May have only been 30 seconds long, but it's going to take us the next five weeks to unpack what it was that Jesus was saying. There's so much richness in this. In fact, as we begin to tear into Jesus' model prayer, one of the things I want us to recognize and understand is that I don't think Jesus was saying, here, disciples, this right here, this is exactly what I want you to say over and over and over again. Just say these exact words. In fact, that sort of idea would seem to go against the very nature of what Jesus had just taught on before this. Last week, we talked about all of these things about how not to pray. Before Jesus jumped into how to pray, he spent time on how not to pray. And one of the things he said is he said, listen, don't be like the pagans. Don't be like the Gentiles and just offer up these meaningless words. You know, one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible comes out of the Old Testament. It's a story of a prophet. His name is Elijah. And Elijah is on Mount Carmel, and he takes on 450 other prophets. And the 450 other prophets are not prophets of God, they're prophets of Baal. And the challenge is simply this. Whose God will respond and accept a sacrifice, a burnt offering? And so the 450 prophets, they build up this massive absolutely beautiful structure and they set their most immaculate bull on top of it and then they begin to pray oh Baal come out come accept this great thing that we have for you and nothing and so they begin to dance around. Oh, yes, I, oh, yeah, we, we worship and do this and all of that. And they continue and nothing. And finally, Elijah, who's over on the sidelines, starts laughing at him. He's like, what's wrong? Is your God asleep? What's going on here? And they go for an entire day of praying to Baal. Baal, would you please come down and just nothing from morning until evening. Finally, at evening time, Elijah gets his shot. And Elijah takes and he builds this crude little structure out of just a few stones that were there that had been torn down. And it kind of resembles what they used to have. And it, it's a remembrance of what altars looked like that the people used to have to worship God. And he takes and he puts the sacrifice on there and he says, wait. He says, bring me four jars of water. And he throws the jars of water on top of the sacrifice. And then he says, God, God, would you just, would you show yourself? Would you make it so that there is 
no room for anybody to doubt who you are. And no sooner than Elijah begins to pray, whoosh, and the sacrifice is burned up. One group of people, right, prayed all day long and said all of these meaningless things. And one prayed for 30 seconds. Wow. Don't be like these guys. Jesus is saying, don't be like those prophets of Baal. So Jesus says, listen, pray like this. It's a template. It's a model for how to pray, right? In math, we have a formula A squared plus B squared equals what? But if you tried to just use that, like if you had to solve for a triangle and you just said A squared plus B squared equals C squared, that's my answer, you'd be like, that doesn't work, right? It's a template. It's designed to help you to get to the answer, but you can't just straight use that. You have to plug in the information alongside of it in order for it to be effective. And Jesus says, listen, this prayer is a template. It's a model. It's designed to help you to understand what to plug in so that you can get plugged in with me and with the Father. So what was Jesus' model? Let's just dive in. Let's start tearing this thing apart. And he starts off, he says, our Father. Oh, man. We're not even two words into this thing. And really, really, if Jesus was saying this in Aramaic or the Hebrew, we're talking about it's one word in, right? And that word, if it was in the Aramaic, which is what Jesus spoke, would be Abanu. Abanu. You're like, what in the world does Abanu mean? I'm glad you asked that. Abanu. Abanu is the first word that babies would say, right? It's, it, it roughly translates to this idea of like, father or daddy or if we were to like have this idea in english it's dada it's the first syllables that a child would make when they're forming the language abba dada and so jesus starts off and he's already broken everything because jesus comes and he comes to his father and he gives us this familiarity, this lack of formality in how he addresses God and he says, Daddy. Dad, you got a second? On chat. That's how he opens up. You know, God has a lot of different names and titles. A lot of names and titles in the Bible. In fact, one German scholar, he did a study of all of the names right in all of the old testament and he also included just just for the hay of it i wouldn't do this but he did he's like but i'm also going to look at like the rabbis who would teach all of the old testament and some of their writings alongside of this and so this scholar he went and looked at all of this information and what he found was is that this idea of addressing god as daddy it was sort of there in the Old Testament. There are some scriptures that talk about this idea. There are some places where the Israelites are called the children of God. But listen, the Israelites had a whole different viewpoint of who God was than what Jesus did, right? Think about it like this. If, you know, a, a child, right, they view their dad one way. A teenager, right, they have a whole different view of what dad looks like right? Usually dad's the one that has to come down as disciplinarian. It wasn't my house, right? And so you have a whole different view of dad 
And the Israelites, they were kind of like teenagers, right? So early on, the early fathers, they were kind of like children. Big, he could do anything, right? They had incredible amounts of faith. And then you get into the years of where they like have this kingdom and kings and judges and all of this stuff. They're kind of like teenagers. And God's just the one who just punishes them and takes away all their fun all the time. And then you get to Jesus, and Jesus is kind of like that moment in young adulthood, right? You know that moment that I'm talking about where you look back and you go, oh, I think my dad was a lot smarter than I realized. I think maybe he knew something about what was going on. I tell you that moment continues to play out in my life as I have my two girls now. I'm like, oh, that's what my dad meant by that sort of thing going on there. That's what he was trying to teach me way back then. 20 years later, I'm finally getting it with what my dad was trying to say. But I have a whole different kind of relationship with my dad now. And so here it is. We have Jesus, and he opens up with this prayer. It's sort of this, like, invitation to intimacy with God. Right? Let that sink in for a second. Jesus says that, that we get this, this sort of intimate relationship with God because Jesus had that kind of intimate relationship with God. Now, in case we miss this, right, in case we were to miss this in this prayer, and we're like, well, Jesus just said this this one time in this prayer. Do you know that Jesus called God Father over 60 times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke? The book of John records it over 120 times. So we have almost 200 times in the Gospels that Jesus refers to God as Abba as father, as daddy. He had a relationship, an intimate relationship. In fact, 17 times in this very section that we're looking at, the Sermon on the Mount, the chapters of five, six, and seven of Matthew, 17 times Jesus refers to God as father. Because Jesus had a personal relationship with God. Our team right now is working on Easter stuff. As, as crazy as that sounds, that right now we're getting ready to enter into Christmas season, but we're working on Easter sermons, and we're working on the seven last phrases that Jesus said on the cross. And you know, one of the only times in Jesus' entire ministry that he says God, that he calls God God, is when he's on the cross, right? And he's he cries out. Really, I started to say he screams out because it kind of has that effect on it. And he quotes Psalms 22, and he says, Eloi, Eloi. In other words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's one of the only times that Jesus, that we don't see that intimate relationship with the Father. And so we have this sort of invitation into intimacy because Jesus had a personal relationship with God. He understood him and knew him as father, as his father. And while we understand that Jesus had the right to call God father, right here Jesus says, listen, I'm extending that right to you. You said, teach me how to pray. And I said, all right, when you pray, pray like this. Our daddy our father. You see, he was saying in essence, 
Because I can, you can. Because I'm giving you, my whole purpose of coming was to give you what I have so that you could have the same thing. And so Jesus opens up with this relationship and our adoption into it. And it speaks to this huge theological idea of what we call the imminence of God. I just use this so I can sound smart for a second, all right? The imminence of God. And here's what imminence means. It means a God who draws near to us. A God who draws near to us. And when Jesus says this prayer, he says this intimate invitation, this nearness that you get to God is because he is our Father. In other words, we've been given the right to approach and have a relationship with God. All right, now, just a second. We're gonna jump into a whole bunch of baggage, all right? So just get ready, okay? Because I know that there's a bunch of baggage associated with this word Father. So we're gonna talk about that in just a second, but before we do, I wanna talk about one other thing. Because I don't know if you caught this or not, but Jesus started with a plural. Our Father. Our Father. In fact, he didn't say my Father, which would have, we could have expected him to say that. He didn't say your Father, as in you and me or the disciples that were there who were being trained. He said our Father. If you read through the entire prayer, which we did just a minute ago, do you know that you won't find a singular pronoun in the entire prayer? Go ahead. I challenge you. Go back home this week. Read through it all and see if you see an I, a you, a me that shows up anywhere in the prayer. You won't find one. Because Jesus wanted us to understand that even though that prayer is for me, all right, prayer is for you, it's for us, Jesus wanted us to understand that you are connected to something so much larger when you pray. That it's, even though it's for you, it's not about you. You see, Jesus wants us to understand that we are not alone. We're not facing something on our own because we're part of something bigger when we pray. And when we begin to pray, we begin to become part of a group of people. Right? We talk about those groups of people as Jesus followers. Other people will call that the church, really. Church is a, a plural pronoun as well. It describes a group of Jesus followers. That's what the church is. And so when we begin to pray, we get to become a part of that group. And Jesus says, when you pray, that you're recognizing this truth and that you should be placing yourself into something that is more than just you. All right. With that out of the way, let's get into this loaded word. Let's talk about the word father for a second, right? Here it is. Here's what he started with. He said, our father. Now, fatherhood, fatherhood in America is all over the map, right? There are good fathers. There are middle-of-the-road fathers. 
And let's just be honest, they're bad fathers. In fact, a, a recent survey said that one out of three kids in America today, over 30 million kids in America today, one out of three of them grows up in a home without a dad. Probably doesn't surprise many of you. One out of five that do have a dad in the home experience some form of abuse, whether physical, sexual, emotional, verbal, some sort of abuse in their home. And so you can imagine that when we get to this, guy, this idea of God as Father, right, that if you are one of those one out of three, or if you're one of those one out fives who maybe that was your experience you didn't grow up with dad in the house or your dad was not a good dad in fact you would say maybe he's not even middle of the road dad and the number of times that I've had a, a conversation with somebody who who has experienced that that they're like listen if my father is supposed to resemble what God the Father is like, I don't want to be part of that. In fact, I read a, a, a book by a guy named Jonathan Edwards. Now, if you're around church, you're going to think that name, and you're going to go, oh, yeah, 16th century. No, this guy just wrote a book, so this guy's still living, all right? Different Jonathan Edwards. I got confused, too. But this guy made, wrote a book, and he's called Left, and it's called Making Sense of Life When a Parent Leaves. And here's what he wrote. He says, we're frightened by God the Father because we're terrified of our earthly fathers. How can we come to God without fear when we're scared to go home when dad is there? How can we understand God's love and faithfulness when dad left town because he loved someone or something more than us? How can God be a mighty fortress of protection when dad hit instead of hugged? How can God be a firm foundation of trust and assurance when dad built in a mountain of disappointment and insecurity? For some of you in the room, some of those statements really resonate. That's all we know about a father. And so we come to this sort of word. Why, why in the world would Jesus use this word father? Did he not understand that? I mean, did, did this just never happen in his culture? Like in the first century, did it just never happen? Like did, did it not mean the same thing? That Was it not a loaded term in Jesus' world like it is in our world today? Well, let me just start with saying this. Jesus' earthly father didn't want him. When Mary came and said, Joseph, I'm pregnant, they weren't married yet. And he's like, you know what? There's no way I wasn't part of any of this piece of thing, right? So she's done something unfaithful. So he decides, I'm just going to break up with her. I'm just going to divorce her. I'm going to get rid of her quietly because I don't want any part of this. What do you think 12-year-old Jesus felt like when he finds that out? 
and the kid down the street says, your dad didn't even want you. That hurts. And then, then, Jesus' entire ministry, three years of walking around, we never see his dad. The Bible doesn't tell us why. We assume that Joseph, his dad, was dead. But we don't know. We don't know what happened with his dad. The last time that we see his dad is at age 12, when they've gone to the temple, and they're coming back away from the temple. That's the last time we see Joseph. Last time we hear from him. And so Jesus understood the struggles of fatherlessness, and he understood a whole lot of baggage of this word father just from his own experiences with a dad. And Jesus says, listen, he says, listen, even if that's you, even if you've had a bad experience, a bad dad, he says, listen, you know deep down inside of you what you desired for a father to be, right? You looked at those other homes and you longed, you're just like, I could just be adopted into that home with a loving dad like that. That's all I want. And Jesus says right from the very beginning, he says, I want you to understand that you have been adopted into a family with a loving dad. That dad that you always desired, that you wanted, that you knew was what dad should be, Jesus says, it all starts with Abba knew, our daddy, that you have been adopted because of Jesus into the family. That's what Jesus means by starting off this prayer with our Father. It's about something that we have been given and a right to be able to come into his presence and to approach him. You know, there's an old story about a Roman emperor and he just had a, a massive victory. And the emperors in those days, when they had a victory, they would celebrate with a gigantic parade and they would march right through the center of town with all of their armies and their chariots and their horses. And sometimes they had elephants and all these kind of crazy things. And so this emperor was marching through the middle of town and there was this little boy who was at the back of the crowd. And he wanted to see the emperor squirming around in his mom's arms for a little while. She finally sat him down as any mom would do for a child that just squirms and squirms. And so she sits him down and he begins to work his way through the crowd till he gets front lines. And as he's standing there and all of the chariots are coming by, here comes the emperor's chariot. And the little boy leaves the front line and heads towards the emperor's chariot. And as he's almost there, a soldier reaps, reaches down and grabs him. And he says, you can't approach the emperor like that. And the little boy looks at the soldier and he says, you may not be able to approach the emperor like that, but I can go to my daddy anytime I want.
That's what Jesus is saying to us. We can approach God, and God is near to us because he is our Father, and we have been adopted into this relationship with him so we can come to him and say, Daddy, Dad. And then Jesus continues, and he says, Who is, or if you are, are like me and you grew up on the King James Version, who art in heaven? And Jesus in the second part, he reminds us of the position of God. You see, even though we have access, Jesus still wants to remind us of the authority of God. It's like if you get backstage passes to a concert, right? That's great. You get to go behind the, the curtain. You get to meet the band, but you're still not the band, right? Right? Nothing's going to ever change that. There's still a, a, a difference between that. And listen, we need to understand something very clearly, that heaven and earth are not the same. And we shouldn't pretend like they are. We're going to get more into this in, in, in a couple of weeks, but just because we can come to God and just because he is approachable as our father, Jesus telling us, is saying that God is still up here and we're still down here. When he says our father and we get to have all of this relationship, he still says that's great, you do have that relationship, but understand there's still a positional difference between the two of you. Because we're addressing the God of heaven, the creator of all things. It's kind of some levity and some humility after you get all of this relationship to be able to, to come to him. But you know, it's interesting because Jesus doesn't start with this. He doesn't start by saying the one who resides in heaven is our father. You say, well, Charles, that, that sounds like the same thing, our, our Father who art in heaven. How, what are you saying is different? Here's, here's the difference. When we say our Father who is in heaven, we're showing that prayer is a relational thing, not a positional thing. Prayer is a relational thing, not a positional thing, because it starts with our relationship, and it moves then to that position it tells us where God exists. That's still relational. It tells me that while God is close, he is far beyond what I could possibly understand. In fact, I, just to throw one of those other big theological words out there, we gave you eminence earlier, so we'll give you another one, transcendence. Right? Because in this, Jesus is com contrasting these two big theological ideas. Transcendence means this. Transcendence is God is uniquely and wholly other than everything else. He is far above his creation in his being and in his activity. In other words, God is near, that's eminence, but God is above everything, that's transcendence. Our Father who is in heaven. There's an author, her name is Evelyn Underhill, and she wrote this. She said, if God was small enough to be understood, then he would not be big enough to be worshiped. See that, that right there is gonna set the foundation for what we're gonna talk about next week when we dive into the first of the petitions that Jesus made in this prayer. So just kind of file that one away. 
Because <clears throat> we don't want God that is so small that I can understand him and that he's no longer worthy of all of my worship. But let me take this idea a little bit further. This idea about relational instead of positional because it doesn't matter what position you are in when you pray. You see, some people believe that God only hears us when we're on our knees. Some people believe that God only hears us when we face a certain direction, like to the east at 6 a.m. and 9 p.m. and at these different times. They, some people believe that God only com communicates with us if we have our eyes closed Others say, no, you got to have your eyes open and your hands up in the air. All of these different things are just positions. And listen, prayer is not positional. Prayer is relational. Right? It's not about our position. In fact, listen, I would say it's so much about, it's not about our position. Really, it's about this. It's about our disposition. The inherent qualities that are a part of who we are. You see, we don't get to pray because we are something. We don't get to pray because we have some sort of a, a, a title, right? We get to address God because of what Jesus gave to us. He gave us the right to be called sons and daughters of the Father and to be able to call him Father. You see, Jesus fundamentally changed our standing with God. He moved us to being an insider. Listen, if you haven't figured this out, prayer is really insider trading. It is. Relationally, not positionally. Well, some of you may have heard this before, and perhaps you've even mimicked somebody who, who's done this, but so often when we begin a prayer, this sounds really good, we go, Dear Heavenly Father, and Jesus says, eh. he says, listen, it doesn't start with God's position first. It starts in relationship first. And then we understand both of our positions in contrast. Some of you are like, oh. But to call God Father at the beginning of our prayer is to define our relationship of adoption with him. And it happens through Jesus. So Jesus says, you want to know how to pray? Here's how you start. You start relationally. Prayer starts relationally. Maybe, maybe you, in your prayers, if you were honest about them, you'd say, you know what? They felt pretty hollow. They feel pretty meaningless sometimes. Maybe most of the time. And the reason is because you don't really have any relationship with God. Don't have any relationship with Jesus. And God seems distant, anonymous, impersonal. And you're not really even sure what to do with these, these prayers. You're looking for, you desire this meaningful conversation with God. 
But it just doesn't seem like. And really, Jesus says, you can't have that without relationship. It all starts in relationship. Prayer is for you. Prayer is for every single one of us that's here. But Jesus said, listen, we pray out of, through, and in relationship. And if you don't have relationship, Jesus says, use mine. Use mine, right? Use my position. Use my disposition. That's what I'm offering. It's why I came. And maybe you're like, okay, okay, but how do I, how do, I do that? How do I use Jesus' position and his disposition? Jesus said it's real simple. Just say yes. He said, I've been asking the same question. And the question is, will you follow me? So I asked it of my earliest disciples. I still ask it today. Will you follow me? And in response, our answer is to say yes. It's okay. It's okay if God as Father is scary. It's okay if it has all kinds of baggage. Jesus said, I get it. I get it. You don't have to know him as Father because I know him as Father. And so because of that, you can have all the relationship you need with him just by saying yes to me. Let's pray. Father, what a huge idea. And the fact that Jesus is the one who allows me to be able to come to you and say, Dad, and to have relationship with you. That's what I want for my friends. It's what I want for my family members. It's what I want for my daughters. I want them to have the same sort of relationship with you. And because of Jesus that I got and that I get. Help us to understand the power of this. And how much of it has changed because of Jesus. We just give you glory and honor for who it is that you are. 